I'm just going to read a little bit from Psalm 47, 1 to 2. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, we again affirm your holiness, sovereignty, lordship and lordship and marvel at your might and majesty. As we join with Christians throughout the world to worship and sing your praises, we acknowledge you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. As the early believers met and were filled with the Holy Spirit, we ask for the same infilling today and long for signs and wonders to follow. Lord, may the Holy Spirit refine and renew our minds, deepening our knowledge of your love for us and for all of your creation. May every aspect of our lives be transformed and may we know your leading in our day-to-day activities, whether at home or at work or at school or at leisure. Lord, we have so much to give thanks for. We pause to give thanks for the blessings, prosperity and safety that we enjoy in this country. We bring before you those nations of the world where day-to-day life is an uncertain struggle and where hatred and selfish ambition result in havoc and law and order is forgotten. We think of war-torn places like Syria, Afghanistan, the Ukraine, oops, Ukraine, not you, there are Ukraine, Ukraine and others. Lord, as we pause, we reflect in silence and ask you to bring to mind those places and people we should uphold at this time. Lord, we thank you for the smooth change of government that we have witnessed over the last few days. We pray for all politicians and ask that they may govern and lead with wisdom. We pray particularly for our new Prime Minister, Mr Albanese, and the challenges of office that he will face in coming days. Lord, we ask for stable government where the well-being of the country is put above political ambition and ideology. Lord, we thank you for a modern health system that, despite shortcomings and difficulties, still delivers a level of care that many other countries can only dream of. We think now of those we know who are ill and suffering, those with physical, emotional or spiritual ailments. We particularly think of um, Heather Lomar, who has a baby due very shortly. We also think of Isabel Langmaid, who had pneumonia and is in hospital last week but is home now. We pause quietly to name um, any more people we know before you. May each of these friends and acquaintances know your healing touch. Lord, we thank you for the abundance of food that we have access to in our nation. We bring before you those places where hunger and starvation are prevalent, whether as a result of natural disaster, famine or man-made circumstances. Lord, we pray for those families in the United States affected by the recent gun massacres. We can't comprehend or understand what would drive someone to attack young children or others simply going about their day-to-day activities. Lord, bring comfort to those who are hurting in the face of such horrors. We think of those who are persecuted for their faith. May the Lord, may the Holy Spirit give them the courage to remain strong despite the pressures they face. May they be granted hope and perseverance. And, Lord, we ask that you deal with all persecutors. 
Lord, today we have reflected on mission and the opportunities before us. We recall the promise that you gave, that the power of the Holy Spirit would come on believers to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pause to bring before you those we know who are called to mission service and ministry, both locally and overseas. We pray also for those who are called to provide support, both prayerful and financial. Lord God, through Christ, you have given us peace that the world cannot give. Let your spirit of truth abide with us so that we may live in hope, grow in faith and keep your commandments of love. In the name of in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Christy. You did well being Anthony's mouthpiece. Didn't didn't sound like him, but it it did sound like him in some ways. <laughs> in reading that, I could hear Anthony's words and his heart. So thank you. It's wonderful to be up here. I don't know if you've noticed anything new today. It's wonderful to have a bit of a, a new stage. I just want to thank you and honour Dave Rax uh, for being with me on Wednesday, putting all this together. Uh, and um, some of the, the carpet came from the Stuarts as well. So thank you for participating in that. And I just want to honour you, Dave, uh, for the time that you give to our church uh, and the way that you serve. So that's wonderful. Uh, it's, well, I'm excited this morning. Uh, just wanted to mention our live stream is down today, but we're going to make this video available for those who we know watch online. So I'm just saying hello to you as you watch this recording later. Uh, trust that you're, you're doing well. And I just wanted to say welcome as well to any visitors, any new people. Uh, we just hope that you feel welcome and that you feel the sense of the presence of God uh, here with us. Uh, this morning we are... Continuing our series on the book of Acts. I'll just turn this on. There we go. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I think it's been named wrongly in some of your Bibles. Uh, Luke's not really interested in the apostles and how good they are. He follows the work of the Holy Spirit uh, and what happens as those uh, disciples are empowered uh, to do the mission that he has called them to do, to go out into the world and to preach the gospel. So just I want to just quickly recap uh, where we've been and particularly some of the themes. I've written them up there. I don't, I'm not going to go through them uh, in detail as I have. Uh, particularly today I want to talk about the church and the community of believers uh, and how together they were. We also wanted to ask ourselves questions as we go along in the book of Acts. First of all, what is surprising to you or what perhaps challenges you? As we see the disciples themselves challenged in their theology or their thinking about what the kingdom is, sometimes when we read through the scriptures, we too are surprised or, or challenged about uh, what we see. But we want to be a people of the book. We want to be uh, led by the word of God. Secondly, how do we as a church function based on what we see uh, in the early church? Is there anything that we're missing out on? Is there anything that we should stop doing perhaps? And finally, and I think probably most importantly, it's something that we should ask ourselves every time we open the word. What is Jesus saying to you? What is he calling you to? 
what is he asking you to respond to? Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, and I know there's, I see a couple of tribe kids, feel free to grab your um, Bibles from the back, tribe kids, because we're going to be going through, as we have been, verse by verse, doing more of a, a teaching style uh, of sermon this morning. So I just want to pray before we start, because I just really sense that what we see here in Acts chapter 2 wasn't just something for the early church, for the disciples. It's actually something for every single believer, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And my prayer is that as we... Is this mic okay? It sounds a bit echoey. Um, I'll come a bit closer. As we, as we read, as we learn, as we allow God to, to speak to us, that something of what they experienced would be your experience. Something of their reality would be our reality this morning. I want to start with that, and we're going to end with that. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, as we look at uh, one of the most famous passages in Acts, Acts chapter 2, Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts. Lord, that you'd be removing anything that, that would hinder us from hearing what you're wanting to say to us this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Well, delivery rooms are exciting places to be. I remember the first time I was uh, in the delivery room with our first child. I uh, didn't know what to expect, but it was full of joy uh, and amazement and excitement. Uh, and and I, I heard this story about um, a couple of uh, guys who were outside of the delivery room waiting for uh, their babies to be born, and the nurse came out to the first guy and said, oh, congratulations, you've had twin boys. And, and the man said, oh, this is amazing because I'm the CEO of Johnson & Johnson and twin boys, it's a bit, it sort of lines up with that. So that's, that's, that's really good. And a couple of minutes later, the nurse came out to the, the second man and said, congratulations, you've got triplets. And he's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That's amazing. And what's even amazing about that is that I'm the CEO of 3M Company. So that kind of lines up, three, three children, and I'm, I'm, at which the third person falls on the floor, is huffing and puffing, is panting and can't get breath. And the nurse says to him, what, what's the matter? What on earth is going on? He said, I'm the CEO of 7up. <laughs> <laughs> Delivery rooms are amazing places. We're going to be going this morning to a delivery room where not one or three or seven children were born, but 3,000 new spiritual babies came to faith on the day of Pentecost, a delivery room where the church of Christ is born. So if you've been part of this church, we are... Our denomination is, is very open to the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit. You might have come from a different background uh, where that might not be something that is, is naturally talked about. Um, and, and you can find yourself potentially in, in the middle of uh, discussions in church circles. Some people might say, well, if you've got the Holy Spirit, you're not alive enough. And then there's other people who are very lively who say, you know, that you're, you're dead uh, in, in things. 
I think it was David Smythe, uh, who, who I heard this, this saying from, Dave. I'm not sure if, where you got it from, but I, I heard it this week. If we have too much of the word, we dry up. If we have too much of the spirit, we blow up. But a combination of both, we grow up. So my prayer this morning is that we grow up as we look at Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, we're going to get stuck in. Because I've just looked at the time. When the day of Pentecost came. Okay, we're going to stop there. (laughs) Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Isn't that just the day that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples there in the room? Isn't that just the word that describes it? The Pentecost was actually a festival that was celebrated by uh, the Jewish people. In fact, there was a number of feasts that were celebrated throughout the year. And I just want to spend a little bit of time and background because I think it gives us a greater understanding and depth of what's actually happening here on the day of Pentecost. The Jewish feasts, they had seven Funnily enough, seven is the the number of perfection, of completeness, so that they had seven feasts. Now, I think if there was any particular religion to be part of, it would be the Jewish religion, because they loved to feast. They loved to party. In fact, when Jesus himself, when he was ministering, was, was called a glutton, because he was often partying. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, I'm going to have a meal with you today. The Jewish people loved to party. They loved to feast. And I think we need to regenerate that within our Christian circles. It's not just about dirginess, but about the celebration and the joy of life that he has us. So they had feasts. They had the Feast of Passover. This celebrated uh, when they were in slaves in Egypt uh, and they escaped there. The, the Spirit of the Lord passed over those who had blood on the, the door frames. And, and so they celebrate this uh, Passover. And we know that this happened at the time when Jesus uh, had the Passover meal with his disciples, the Last Supper. They had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, when they escaped Egypt, they had to leave in a hurry and they didn't have time to put yeast uh, in their bread. And so they set aside unleavened bread and they, they put it out. And uh, the, the leaven, the yeast, in biblical terms, is understood as sin or evil. So it's sort of the removal of, of sin. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. And then there was a festival of first fruits. Now, this is the harvest. Uh, so when the harvest first was uh, being harvested, the first fruits uh, were given as an offering to the Lord. And then there's a, a bit of a gap, and we have the festival of Pentecost, or it's called the Festival of Weeks. And now you can read about this in Deuteronomy 16 or Leviticus 22, where that goes through the, the feasts. But the Pentecost, the Pentecost was... Uh, a week was seven days, and you were to count seven Sabbaths. So seven times seven is 49, and it says in Leviticus, the day after that last Sabbath, the 50th day, you are to celebrate Pentecost, and 50 means Pentecost. So we have pentagram, five circles, Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover. So 50 days after Passover, so the, the disciples celebrated Jesus' ascension and for, for, 
and and for 10 days, because that was on the 40th day, so for 10 days between the Ascension and Passover, we've got the, these 10 days of these disciples waiting in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost. And now those are the spring festivals. The autumn festivals are the Festival of Trumpets, of the Atonement, and of Tabernacles or Booths. Now, what's really interesting about these festivals is we see the spring festivals fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We talk about Passover at Easter, and we see the connection there between the Passover lamb being slain for us in order to set us free. So this talks about Jesus' death. Unleavened bread was where they put aside the bread outside that didn't have yeast in it. And we know that Jesus was without sin. He was without that and he was put aside. So that's talking about his burial. And obviously the first fruits of the new creation. Jesus is the firstborn amongst all the new creation. So the first fruits talks about Jesus's resurrection. He is the first one in to be uh, renewed. So what is then Pentecost? How is this fulfilled in Jesus? What is the meaning of this? I'm going to read for you in a moment from Leviticus 23. But I want to just suggest that it is the end of spring. So it is the end of a season. And it is the beginning of a new thing. So God is bringing about the end of the old covenant the old way of Jewish life, and he's bringing about a new season, the season of the church. The other way that we could potentially look at at it it is a new harvest. We know that Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples, says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And here the church is born to be uh, missional and to take forward the gospel, to take forward that great commission, to go out into all the world and to bear fruit, to, to have harvest. Now, what happened at the, at, during the, this Pentecostal feast was the priest would take two loaves of bread that had yeast in it and he would give these two loaves of bread as an offering to the Lord. Now, we know that there were certain offerings, burnt offerings, but there were other certain sorts of offerings. And this particular offering was done uh, by having two loaves of bread. And these, these might, this might be reading into it, but representing the Jewish nation and the Gentiles. So now we have not only the Jewish, at Pentecost, the start of the church that includes all people. There is no longer any separation, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, woman, or, or man, we are, we're all one. That might be what these two bread things represent. I'm going to read to you this passage. It says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of a wave offering, count seven full weeks. So there you go, seven Sabbaths. Count off 50 days up to the end of after the seventh Sabbath and present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephaph, if that's how you say that word, of the finest flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Now, I don't know what a wave offering looked like, but I don't know. 
So may, maybe, and maybe I'm just making this connection here because I can't find it in any theological books, but maybe the, the thought of Pentecost and, you know, Pentecostals, they... <laughs> Is it just me that sees that there? Come on, a wave offering. Woo! Yeah. So that's also a connection there with Pentecost, surely. <laughs> no. So we have, uh, we have these, these fe- feasts. Now, three of these feasts, it was required that every male Jew from the surrounding areas would have to come to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. So we have Passover, which is why everyone was in Jerusalem during Jesus' uh, death and resurrection and could witness it. At Pentecost, this is why we're about to see that there were people in Jerusalem to hear what was happening when the Spirit came, and of booths at, at, at the end. Now, just want to quickly go back. If, if the spring festivals are fulfilled in Jesus, then we can see that the autumn festivals are going to be filled in his second coming. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like a sun at the... Trumpet call, and he will, he will gather the nations before him. The, the tabernacle was, was, the, was the booze, the, the, the people coming together. We know that the end of all time when Jesus comes again is going to judge the, all the, the nations. So we can see that happening. Isn't that an amazing thing? So we are here in Pentecost in this festival where where people have come from surrounding nations to celebrate the Festival of Weeks. And it is at this time that Pentecost came. When the day of Pentecost, this is what we're talking about, came, they were all together in one place. Now, what was one of the themes that Luke loves to talk about is the togetherness of the church. They met together daily. They were all together in one place. They were of one accord that theme jumps out all the time. So who were together? Well, in Acts chapter 1, we, took, we see the 120 people who are together in an, in an upper room, pretty big room. Suddenly, a sound like, like a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The disciples, those who were there in the upper room, witnessed three phenomenon. They witnessed something that was audible, there was a sound. They witnessed something that was visual. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And they, they witnessed something oral. Something was being said. It was, again, to do with the senses. It wasn't just something that was knowledgeable, that was taught, that they had to get right in their minds, but it was something that they could see and feel and touch and experience. So it is with the Holy Spirit. When we experience him, it involves our senses. Do you remember when Jesus uh, was giving proofs to the disciples in the early days 
It was proves that it was to do with the senses, touch my, my hands, hear, hear my voice, eat with me, and, and all of those sorts of things. So here we have a, a similar thing, an audible sound as if like a rushing wind. Now, it's not saying that it was necessarily windy that day. Uh, Luke's not describing the, uh, the, the weather conditions in Jerusalem. It might, there might not have even been a breeze, but it was sounding like a breeze. Here we have descriptions of something that you can't quite put into words. And so, so Luke's saying it's as if it was like this, or I saw things that kind of looked like that. If I was to describe it with words, but man, you had to be there. There was an audible sound as if like the sound of a rushing wind. Now, for those who, who know your Bibles, the, 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 the wind was often the way that the, the Lord spoke to the people in the Old Testament. Particularly Job was there and Job heard the voice of God through the whirlwind. And Jesus, in, when he's talking with Nicodemus in John 3, and he's having this dialogue about you have to be born of the water and of the Spirit, Jesus says these words to him, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, this is what we're, we're seeing in, in Acts, and you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's interesting that in both Hebrew and Greek, the word for spirit and wind are the same word. In Hebrew, it's ruach. You have to clear your throat. Ruach. And uh, in Greek, it is pneuma, which is where we get pneumatic, the word pneumatic from. So wind and spirit are the same thing. So here Luke's describing sound like a wind, and, and they're saying it's, it's the spirit. Uh, that got their attention, I think, don't you think? Big sound, rushing wind, whoa, what's going on? Because I don't know if you remember, but they're waiting for 10 days between the ascension and this time happening. And, and they're, they're waiting, but all of a sudden something grabs their attention. It's out of the ordinary. It happens all of a sudden. Suddenly, see that word there, suddenly. There was no, no timer. The Pentecost is about to begin in 3, 2, 1. Now, now get ready. It's going to happen. They're, they're sitting anticipating prayerful and suddenly it comes upon them. Now, if there's ever a... Uh, a view, a need for us to be spontaneous or to go with the Spirit in our services of worship. I believe it's right here that the Spirit sometimes suddenly comes upon us and it's, it's not necessarily prepared for or, or a timer happening, but it is um, at the time. So suddenly it gets their attention. And then the second phenomenon as if or what looked like tongues of fire. Why fire? Well, once again, in the Old Testament, fire represented the presence of God. So this wasn't just some phenomenon that is separate from 
from God or is, or is different. This is actually God himself making his presence known and, and with, within his people. Remember when Moses was, uh, saw the burning bush and the voice of God and God said, take your sandals off because you're on holy ground. Where you're standing, is the, the fire represents the presence. And when they received the, the, the law on Mount Sinai, it was, it was confirmed with, with lightning and wind and fire. And the, 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 the pillar of fire guided them uh, by night as they travelled through the wilderness. It was God's presence with his people. But in the Old Testament, God's presence was often one place at one time or the spirit was given to one person for a particular part, uh, task. Here we see God's presence as if fire, tongues of fire, resting on every single one. So no longer is it just one time and one place, but God's presence is, is given to his church, given to all believers, given to everyone. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We're going to sing that in a moment. I was going to have a pause now and um, ask those who have the rice to prepare that for us. And while we're doing that, I want you to think about the three questions that we posed and turn to a person next to you and choose one of those questions and have a, have a discussion. What are you surprised by or challenged by? What do you feel like us as a church can gain from these, these words? What is, what is the, the Lord speaking to you? So do that now. All right, we might come back together. I've just looked at the time. Are we... We haven't got very far, have we? <laughs> I was hoping to get halfway through Peter's sermon today. Don't think we'll get there. That's all right. So the Spirit comes upon all of those present. Now, I want you to notice something really important. It says they were all together in one place, and the tongues of fire separated and came to rest on who? Just the disciples, just the apostles, the important people, on each of them. And then the next sentence says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and all of them began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. This gift was not just for an elite people. It was for every person in the church. So the 120 people there received the Spirit and all 120 people, there was a reaction to that. There was something that happened out of receiving the gift. They all started speaking in other languages or tongues. These were known languages at this point in time. So when the Spirit comes upon us, there is a change in us. It does something in us. It's not just an experience that, well, I'll just have my quiet little time with the Holy Spirit and just be insular and in the world. There was a visible, evident thing that happened 
to all of them. And all of them experienced the same thing. Now, remember we talked about the people coming to the Festival of Weeks. So there was people from all around the nations. You can read about it there. I'm not going to go into it, but there's southern Af- uh, northern Africa, uh, there's Turkey, there's Iran, Iraq, Syria. Um, all, all, all the nations around there were, were all there. And they start hearing these people praising God in their own language. Interesting. God's timing is amazing. Have you ever been praying for something and waiting for an answer and waiting and waiting? Well, here's these group of people praying, waiting for the coming spirit, waiting, being obedient. And God's timing was perfect because there was people there from every nation to experience and witness this event. And it enabled the disciples to be speaking so that they could hear. So the gift here that was given out was not for the people themselves, but was for those who came. And so it is with us, and my hope is for us as a church, that as we, as we experience the Holy Spirit and as the gifts are expressed, that the signs and wonders point people to Jesus. The signs and wonders give proof to people saying, something's going on here. Something is real. Something is exciting. What is this thing? And these, these signs draw people in to then be able to preach the gospel. Now, I want you to take note here. The disciples weren't preaching in other languages to the people. It says that they were worshipping God. They were praising So these people heard them in their own language, praising God, and they said, what is this thing? To which then Peter stands up and gives the first sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. So there is evidence, there is timing of his perfect, Romans 5, just at the right time Christ died for us. And here we see just at the right time the Spirit comes, and which is why when Paul and, and others head out, as, we, as we're going to see in Acts, churches were already established. How did that happen? Well, those that were there in Jerusalem travelled back to their hometowns. Uh, they had this new faith and they began to set up their own churches. So when God does something, it's noticeable and it changes. But... There were those who were mockers. There are always mockers in a crowd, aren't there? People were amazed at this thing. This is, this is an incredible phenomenon that we're witnessing. And people are trying to understand it and work out what's going on. But some of them are standing back. Oh, they're just drunk on wine. The mockers. Now, this is something that we see even today. When you try and present something that is logical, something that makes sense, if someone in their own mind is stubborn and has, you know, they're not, they're not going to change, try and talk about the situation, the argument, the logic, and, and if they can't sort of grapple with that, what do, what do they do? They tear down the messenger. Oh, you're just stupid. Oh, you're just a bigot. Oh, you're just that. 
because they can't cope with this reality, this new understanding, this truth. And, and so if that, that truth conflicts with what I think and what I believe. So I either need to conform to the truth or I need to just whoa, pull it down. And that's what we're seeing here. There were mockers saying, oh, they're just drunk. Now, how can drunk people be eloquent in, let alone their own language, but another <laughs> language and, and in an orderly way? I don't see much orderly speaking when it comes to people who have had too much wine. And, and this is the argument that Peter has when he stands up and he addresses the crowd. I'm going to need to stop. But I just want to end with something that I think is really important as we look at this, this story. Peter stood up with the 11. Now this is Peter. <laughs> failed Peter. Have you ever failed in your Christian walk? Have you ever done stuff that you wished you didn't? Well, Peter was always the one that put his foot in his mouth. And now here's Peter transformed emboldened, empowered by the Spirit. Change has taken place in him. Jesus said at the resurrection when they were having breakfast together, feed my lambs, and Peter gets up to do that now. So if you've ever felt like a failure, if you ever felt like you've come to a point where you want to give up, keep going. Keep going like Peter. Because he stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. How can that be possible? No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now what Peter does is I think something that you and I should do in our lives. This is what was spoken. Now, in the New King James, I want to, or in the King James, sorry, I want to talk about how it comes out. But this is that. This is that that was spoken. What you see here, what you experience is that. When people come to you and ask you in your Christian life, why do you do what you do? Why do you worship? Why do you read? Why do you gather together? We should be able to say, well, what you see is that. And as with God's grace, we see people get healed here at church. And people say, what is that? We can turn over to the next chapter of Acts. This is that. As people become free and, and turn to faith and find freedom and joy, perhaps from the demonic, we can say, well, this is that. Because we're a people of the book. And this is what Peter does. He says, let me explain what you're seeing. What you're seeing is not something that we've made up. What you're seeing is not something that we've tried to manufacture so that we can start the church and, and, 
and carry on some new thing in, in our power. This was all of a sudden, it came upon them. And Peter says, what you're seeing, these sensical things, vision, sound, audible languages being so this is what was pro- spoken by the apostle, uh, by the prophet Joel. In turning my pages, I've lost my page. <laughs> and, and he reads from Joel chapter 2. In the last days, the last days signify the days of the church. I will pour out my spirit on all people. There it is again. Not just for the elite. On all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, we talked about this a a couple of weeks ago, both men and women. Remember, it was only the men that was told to come back to celebrate, but now we've got a new community, the church that involves young and old, men and women, all together, all with the Spirit, all with gifts, all with something to share. This is a new thing. And there will be signs and wonders, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We sang that in our first song this morning. And people responded, and 3,000 were brought into the faith. I'm just aware of time. I think I might invite the musos up. I want to take you back if I can. If you flip over in your Bibles to one, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse, verse 14. What was happening in that upper room? What was happening was they were obedient. Jesus says, go wait in Jerusalem until the the promise of the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and you'll be my witnesses. This is going to happen. And so they're obedient and they're waiting. In verse 14 it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. So here they were. Now, some of us struggle to get to once a month prayer meeting. Try 10 days of constant prayer. This is what these disciples are doing in anticipation. There were three things that I believe was happening for these disciples. Number one, they had an openness to the, to the Spirit. It was promised to them. So there was this openness to God doing something, which is why they're praying. And in prayer, they're asking, God, come and do what you've promised to do. The fact that they're there for 10 days shows that there's an expectation. They're not going home until something happens. And I want to say that that might be us this morning, that we would have an open heart. Is God wanting to do something in your life this morning? Perhaps you're an outsider and 
you want to call on the name of the Lord. And today's the morning that you come to faith in Him. Perhaps you've never experienced the power of the Spirit coming upon you, filling you with evidence of that. And you've been longing for that all of your Christian life. You know, the Bible says not to just be filled, but to continue to be filled. Perhaps you're feeling dry. Perhaps you've had an experience of the Lord in your life. And you remember how amazing it felt. And you want to be renewed in that. You want to be filled afresh. i just give you that opportunity this morning. As we sing this song, let us join with these early disciples that were open. Remove all those barriers. They were open. They were prayerful. They were asking, Lord, do something in us. And they were expectant that the Lord would come and that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them. So Lord Jesus, as we conclude our time now and as we sing this song that speaks about your consuming fire coming, setting us free, Lord, would you you be doing a work amongst us? Just like those disciples in the upper room who were waiting and suddenly, unexpectedly, you came. Would you do that this morning? Would you come upon us in a fresh way? Would your spirit come and fill our hearts and fresh? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and to sing. But if you want to come out the front, you might want to kneel. You might want to have someone come and pray with you. You might want to do that in the seat right where you are. Let's just spend just a few moments. Let's not worry about whether the rice is ready. Let's be spontaneous and be open to the Spirit at work. Can we do that? Let's close our eyes. Let's sing. Open up our hearts. Pray. Be expectant for the Lord to work this morning. going to continue um, just playing for a bit longer and if anybody wants to come up and spend some more time at the front you're welcome to Uh, if you want some personal prayer the prayer room is going to be open as well if you want to discuss things in private or have private 
uh, prayer times, the prayer, tomb, prayer rooms at the back. Um, thank you. Stay with us for tea and coffee. That concludes our service. And we hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks.